Mark chapter 2, and we'll start right at the beginning, verse 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they lay down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason these things, ye these things, in your hearts? Whither is it easy to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that, the, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. In the days that Christ walked the earth, there was perhaps no city in the whole entire nation of Israel that knew so much of Christ's presence and of his ministry as this city did, Capernaum. We're told in Matthew 4, verse 13, that Christ went to dwell there after leaving his, his hometown of Nazareth. This was in many ways to become his formal headquarters or his informal headquarters, as it probably was more likely. Um, there was no building with a sign on it, so to speak, out front. The place where his ministry, though, set up base camp was here in Capernaum. And so throughout the Gospels, we see many, many miracles performed in this place. And we see lots and lots of sermons preached in this place. The, the ministry of Jesus is, is ablaze here in this city. People are amazed. They're astonished. And they, they crowd around him. They wonder at his works and at his teaching in this city. Indeed, they were, they were a people living in that blaze of the Son of Righteousness. His ministry was the hottest here. But on the majority, they remained unconverted. They were not believing in Christ. And that's the case in this passage that we have before us this morning. Here in this passage, we, we find a remarkable miracle 
And the people even say at the end of the passage, they never saw it on this fashion before. So we see a remarkable miracle with a much more important, unrecognized truth. It's good for us to take note of the city of Capernaum this morning. We as Christians. It's important for preachers as well to take note of this city. We tend to be ready to believe that all that's needful for the conversion of souls is for the the gospel to be preached powerfully, eloquently, uh, well done in, in, in proper fashion. And then men must believe, right? But we forget the power of sin, the power of unbelief that grips Every man's heart. We forget that men and women, like like these men and women in Capernaum, heard the most faultless, the most powerful preaching. And they saw it confirmed with signs and wonders, miracles, right in front of their eyes. Undeniable. They knew these people that were coming to Jesus the crowd was bringing this man, and these four men were, were holding this man on a stretcher, on a bed. They knew who he was. It was no, it was no accident. And they, he is healed right before their eyes. And yet still, with all of this great preaching and great ministry and great healing, they remain in their death dead in trespasses, they are dead in trespasses and sins. The gospel is a savor of life to some, and yet to others it's a savor unto death. The fire that tends to melt the wax on a candle, and the preaching that tends to melt the heart of some, will very much harden. The fire will harden the clay. In a different way. It'll make it like stone. And so the preaching will also make some hearts like stone. And this city, so blessed with preaching, had so many hearts that were hardened to the important truths of the gospel. Let's be aware of ourselves walking in their footsteps. But there are many things for us to consider this morning from this passage. As we conclude, I want us to drive to the heart of the important truth that this passage teaches us. Oh, we don't want to miss that main point, do we? Like these people did. But as we meditate and as we look through the details of this passage, there will be many things that we need and we should have drawn to our attention. I'd like to consider them all under this subject. The presence of Christ in the house. We'll be taking the end of verse 1 as kind of a, a capstone for our thoughts, if you will, this morning. And it was noised that he was in the house. What is it that happens when the presence of Christ is in the house is the question that we're going to be asking ourselves this morning. And simply put, that's what our passage tells us. It tells us what happens, what happened when Jesus was in the house. First, people came into the house. Second, their sins, the man on the stretcher that is in our context, his sins were forgiven. 
And third, his diseases and the people that come into the house, their diseases can and will be healed. So first of all, let's think about the fact that the people are going to come into the house. The, when Christ enters into a house and when Christ is preached in a house, such as a church like this morning, wherever his name is preached, people will come. People will come. They will come for all kinds of reasons. They will come, first of all, because the word of God is faithfully proclaimed. I don't think that anybody came here this morning because of the notoriety of this particular speaker. I'm not even a pastor of a church. I'm merely pulpit supply for us this morning. And you've been noticing on the live webcast that men have been rotating in this church if you watch week by week. No notoriety here. Why are the people here? Why do you watch on the web service? Because the word of God is faithfully preached in this place. And that is the goal of anyone who should ever come into this place, is to preach the word of God faithfully. That's a mark of the true church. Calvin said, and many have said since Calvin, that the preeminent mark of the true church is that the gospel and Christ, specifically, is preached there to the best of one's ability in fullness and in truth. It's true that the faithful preaching of God's word will draw people into the house. It did in the passage that we read this morning. It was noised about that Christ was in the house and then people were gathered in there and it brought them. No doubt there were true converts that were present in that house. Mary, Simeon, others like these were part of the camp of Israel. They may not have been part, um, there may have been many people that were not part of Christ's true fold in this crowd, but there were many that were. Um, the twelve apostles were most certainly there. And so we had people that were there to hear the truth of God preached. It was also true in the days of Spurgeon, trying to pick a time between Christ and now. One of the most notable speakers ever was Charles Spurgeon. And I was watching a documentary movie on his life not too long ago. There's one that's been put out, and I didn't think it was too poorly done. I thought it was fairly good. It was a blessing to me. Um, and many movies that are put out are not able to be a blessing to us, but... It was remarkable, the things that I heard on that documentary and how it talked about every Sunday morning, the streets would be filled with people going to hear Charlie speak. Mr. Spurgeon is going to speak this morning. He'll be at this place or he'll be at that place. In his early, early ministry, he was traveling house to house in different place and Soon the crowd grew to be so big at the individual houses he was at that he had to move to a bigger place. And they were filling what seemed to be a stadium-sized church in not too long. But he was a faithful preacher of Christ. And as 
the message of Christ was faithfully preached, the people came in to the house. It's true in our day as well, where God's word is faithfully taught, the people will come in. This is the best reason for people to come into God's house. Yes, people may come for other reasons. We'll talk about those in in a moment. But we're here this morning to meet with the Lord and to hear from him and to have his word read and preached to us. That's the right reason to come to God's house, to rejoice in his truth. I could also say very briefly that this is what this church needs, to simply have the faithful preaching of God's word, and people will come to hear. Another reason people come into the house is because they want their intellect to be stimulated. Um, That could be a, a reason that we would come here this morning if we were not given to the things of the Lord. Not everyone who came to that house where Jesus preached was rejoicing in the fact that truth was being preached. Many were there because they wanted their intellects to be stimulated. They wanted to hear what he had to say. We'll speak more of this later, but there were some there because they were hostile. They desired to hear what he had to say, think about it, and then criticize it. Others were there because they wanted to reflect on it intellectually for a little while, maybe in the upcoming months. Last time I was with you all, we spoke of John chapter 10 and the Good Shepherd. And if you remember, the first 20 or so verses are one event, and then the last few verses of the chapter are an event that happens three months later. But the teaching in both events is the same. And what's happened is Christ comes and he says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And he he gives the teaching at one event. And the people go away and they haven't understood the truth that he's speaking. They're fascinated by these things that they heard. And they consider them for a number of months. And then the next feast or celebration that they come to, three months later, Jesus is there again. And they bring it up with him. And they ask him, tell us more. Tickle our minds again with that teaching. And he teaches them again in different, a few different words, as it's recorded in the, in the gospel. But they weren't there hearing and understanding the truth of God and rejoicing in it. They were excited for a fanciful idea, a new concept. What would Jesus say now? And so people like that were here. Men and women like this were listening to Christ in the house as he spoke in Mark chapter 2, what we just read. And as I said, we'll talk more about them later. But today I wonder, are there people here in this house? Are there people listening online that just want to hear a beautiful sermon or just want to have their intellects tickled for the day so that they can 
think intellectually instead of about their work during the week. Many people would come as well because they want their practical needs met. We talked in the Sunday school um, this morning briefly about how it's important. It, it is. And the Lord has brought this to my attention personally as well. It's important to be about the practical effort of the ministry. Preaching the word. That is good. It must be done. It is the most pre preeminent thing that we would be about God's word and about hearing of his kingdom and learning of, of him. However, our ministry does not go nearly as far as it could, should, would, if we will wed that together with practical actions. And you see Jesus doing that. We considered the five loaves and the, the fishes this morning in Sunday school and how Jesus met the practical needs of the people. So that's important, and I'm not criticizing that. But there would be many, and we see them, come into churches that would um, come in just to have their practical needs met. Our pastor has been preaching through the responsibility of deacons in the church, and I very much appreciated his um, message the other week, how he highlighted that the deacons are not just supposed to be about the maintenance issues of the church. They're supposed to be more than that. They're, they're there to meet the practical needs of the people. Are there poor in the church that need, well... In our society, there may not be such a great need as there was maybe back in the, the days of the New Testament. Are there widows that need attention in some way? Are there shut-ins that need meals brought to them? Are they, this is the work of deacons as well. But do we come into God's house because we know that there's an aspect of churches everywhere that is supposed to meet the practical needs of the people? That shouldn't be our reason for being here. But there were people like that listening to Jesus that day. They were at the place maybe where Jesus had broken those five loaves and the fishes. And they wanted their bellies to be filled. There's even a place in the gospel where, where Jesus says to the crowds that are thronging him. He says, you're not here because of the words that I spoke. You're here because I filled your stomachs. The practical needs. Jesus, though, did those needs. And as we'll see, there were people in the house that needed practical things, and Jesus does meet those needs in, in this context. But that was not the most important truth being taught by Christ. Why are we here today? Is it just to have our intellect stimulated or to have practical needs met? Or is it to rejoice in the preaching of truth and in the gospel, to be fed by the word of God week by week? This is the thing, week by week as we go into the Lord's house. Are we here to hear the message that's being preached? Or are we here to sit 
daydream, check off the fact that we were in church this week, have our intellect stimulated, etc., etc. But as people come into the house, we should note that they are here, yes, for many reasons, but they will bring others with them as well. Our passage says that it was noised that he was in the house. And then it also says that people were gathered as well. I believe that's verse 2. People are like-minded, people that are like-minded, right? They're out there in the community, and they hear that Jesus is over here in the house, and they say, hey, Jesus is there. Let's go. Let's go. Friend, person that is like-minded to me, person that works beside me, let's go and let's hear Jesus. And so they begin to flock. They are all there. They are all needy. There was one there, though, that was sick of the palsy. Um, and he was brought, four men buried him up on a bed. This was a needy man, indeed. It was, it was obvious to others. But most importantly, it was obvious to him. Why did he come? We can ask that question and we can think about it. We don't really know. We don't know exactly why he came. In, inside the depths of his heart, we don't know. Yes, right on the surface, he came because he needed to be healed. Was that the only reason he came? The passage doesn't really say if perhaps he was most motivated spiritually and, and thus someone to be looked up to or not. But regardless of Regardless of why he was there, we can learn a great lesson from the fact that his friends brought him. His friends brought him there. When Christ is in the house, people, the needy, should be brought in. And the facts are that every last human being on this earth is needy. Many times we think it's just, you know, I, we should be bringing in the unsaved to hear it. And that's true. We should. Our friends that are Christians, what if they don't have a good church that they can go to? Bring them in. What are we doing to bring, to gather, as we go through the world, people in to hear the word of the Lord? These men would stop at nothing. It's a very important lesson that we can take from our passage today. We're, we're thinking about these men. They come. They're bringing someone that they know has a need. They, he needs Jesus. Whether they're thinking to heal him, or whether they're thinking spiritually to have his sins forgiven, he needs Jesus, and they're bringing him. And there's a huge obstacle. People are pressing into this house so hard that you can't even squeeze in the cracks around the door. What are we going to do? Might as well turn away. Because by the time Jesus gets done preaching, there's going to be all kinds of people still asking questions, and the sun's going to go down probably before we're ever going to have a chance to get in the house, and then 
Who knows, he might be asleep before we have a chance to touch him. You know? (laughs) This is how many people were there. There was a huge obstacle in their way. But these men would stop at nothing. They, They think outside the box. They jump up on the roof and they start peeling back tiles. I don't know what the construction was like back then. But if you were peeling off tiles on a house today... You'd be digging through, then you'd get to a baseboard on the roof, then you'd pull off the baseboard on the roof, and you have to get through the insulation of the attic and then get down through the stud boards and in through the sheetrock and lower the man down. I'm guessing that they probably didn't have all of those exact same steps back then because construction's probably changed a good bit since the invention of the 2x4. But this was a lot of work. Was it clay pots, shards that were on the roof to make the shingles? Were they rock hard and probably plastered in place by mortar? Yeah. This was a lot of work. And they would stop at nothing to bring their friend to Jesus. The work of bringing others into the house to meet with Jesus. The, the work of spreading the seed. Even if we're not bringing them into the church, but the work of giving the gospel ourselves. That's hard work. It's going to be met with many difficulties. Gathering men and women that are sick with sin into the house to hear Jesus and the word preached to them is difficult. We should stop at nothing. Again, this doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be brought to church. This isn't the only way that the gospel can reach them. Each and every one of us has a responsibility to go out and to be spreading the seed and to be watering it and to be asking if people would go to church or be asking if people would go to to meetings where the gospel is preached or to be preaching it as the, the moment arises to them in the situation. And those things should not be overlooked. Those duties of Christians should not be overlooked. But getting the word to them that Christ can forgive sins is also the vital point that should not be overlooked. Secondly, I want to consider the fact that as men come into the house, the house where the presence of Christ is, and he's preaching... The second item I have for us to consider is that their sins will be forgiven. Not every last person's sins will be forgiven. I said a few moments ago that there were men there that were there intellectually speaking. They were happy to be there, but they didn't rejoice in the truth being preached. These were theologians of the day, and they were there to criticize and to bring a question. And we don't see them actually bringing their questions in this text, but Jesus perceives in them the spirit that is arguing and that is questioning what he would say. When the man is lowered through the ceiling of this house, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, People are standing and they're hearing Christ preach. And then they hear a ruckus on the roof 
are these men pounding away at the tiles to, to peel them off? And this is a distraction, and it grows louder and louder as they get closer and closer. And they have to, they have to open up a place in the roof that's large enough for a man and his bed to be lowered down through the ceiling. And then they all have to shuffle away to make room for him to sit there in the floor. And when he finally gets there, there's kind of a hush on the crowd. What is going to happen? What's going to happen next? And then Christ says, your sins are forgiven. I don't think any of them expected that to necessarily be the next words out of his mouth. They probably, as he had healed other men before, expected to see him heal the man or or do something about the condition. That's why, obviously, that's why this man was being brought to Christ, to get him, get healing. But Christ says, your sins are forgiven. And the theologians say in their mind, maybe even one of them scoffs, <laughs> Only God can forgive sins. Who is this man that blasphemes? And they were missing the point. They were missing the important truth that Christ was giving them. Christ was saying, first and foremost, your sins are forgiven. That is the main thing this man needed. That brings me to my second thought about the fact that people who come when Christ is being preached in the house, their sins will be forgiven. The one who is in need, that man will be forgiven. The man sick sick of the palsy was probably esteemed to be the least blessed person in that place. Perhaps he was actually the most blessed, though. He had a true need. He recognized it. He could see it. He could feel it. He couldn't even get out of his bed. He had a real need. Without this disease, he would never have been brought to Christ, or at least most likely never. Maybe he would have been one of the ones in the crowd that was just gathered along with everyone else. Let's go hear the fanciful things that we're going to hear from Jesus today. He's probably going to say something new that we can excite ourselves about. Probably would have been in that crowd. That was 90% of the crowd there, most likely. Without his disease, he would never have been brought to Christ, never lowered through the roof. And never would have heard those words, thy sins be forgiven thee. It's important to to note briefly, most likely in this passage, I would say that this man, his sin had affected his disease. In other places, the, the book of Job, sin is not necessarily the reason that Job was suffering. It's not the reason Job was suffering. Job was suffering because of a conversation, a spiritual conversation that we're given insight into in that book where God is letting for his glory Satan have his moment with Job. 
in the end of the day, we see God's glory and he's glorified at the end of, of the book. And Job is restored more than he had at the first. There are other times that even Christ says in his preaching ministry that this man, I believe we considered um, the blind man a few times ago when I was here and how Christ healed him. This man, he says, Christ said in that chapter, is not blind due to his sin or his parents' sin. He's blind that the work of God may be done in him and that God may be glorified. This man here, though, he comes and he's lowered down through the ceiling. And Christ says to him, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that indicates to me that perhaps his sin had affected his condition. Regardless, we know that that was the most important thing for that man. We can all take our encouragement from this passage, though, and, and this circumstance. Those of us who find ourselves afflicted in some way, we can take encouragement from this. This man's infirmity brought him to the place where he could be the most blessed in the room. He was the most Infirmed. He was the most, he was the worst off. But that brought him to the place where he was the most blessed. And many times in our own lives, we experience places where we feel like we are the least blessed among people. And that is the time when we need to be turning and we need to be looking for the lesson that God would have for us in that moment of trial. David said in the Psalms that he had no complaints. He said, it, it is good for me that I would be afflicted. That should be our attitude. Not that we come and we have complaints. And, and yes, we have the throne of grace. When we can go and we can find help in our time of need, and we can pour out our complaints to the Lord. We can tell Him of our needs and ask for His blessing. That's our unique privilege as Christians, that we can do that. But oh, that we would do it with an inner spirit that is not complaining and whining about our circumstances, but that is saying, oh Lord, teach me and give me your best through this, and Thy will be done if I be healed or if I be, if this cup be allowed to pass from me, so to speak. In our trials, we should learn that God is speaking and we should not refuse him that speaketh. Learn the lesson that he is driving home in our lives. The way the men in Christ's day needed to learn the most important truth that he was teaching them. That brings me to my final consideration this morning. And that is the consideration that the people who are coming into the house, their sins will be forgiven. Yes, their diseases will be healed. Ultimately, all of our needs can be met 
in Christ. Our diseases can and will be healed by him, just as he healed this man. Christ says, thy sins be forgiven thee. That is the most important thing. That is the thing that Christ wanted the people and that the the author of our text wanted to communicate that the forgiveness of sins is the most important thing and that Christ can give us that forgiveness. But the theologians miss the point and they scoff and they say, who can forgive sins? And so that brings us to the point where Jesus actually heals the man. The son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And that everyone there in that context, in that scenario, would know that. Jesus poses the question, So, which is it easier? To say your sins be forgiven? And then everyone around me assumes that it happened. Great, take the man away. His, his most important need was met. And it was his most important need. But how do we know that anything happened? Or is it easier to say to him, Jesus says, get up from your bed and walk. The obvious conclusion, it's a rhetorical question. The obvious conclusion is, it's harder to say get up and walk and for it to happen. Not just anybody can, can do that. That the son, that you would know, Jesus says, that the son of man hath power on earth to save get up and walk. And the man get up, gets up and he walks out and he goes to his house and he's rejoicing. The diseases are healed. And the man's sin, most importantly, was forgiven. And you notice that Jesus starts there. He starts with the man's most important need. And he says, thy sins be forgiven thee. something that I think is worthy of our consideration. The whole, there are probably many thoughts that I am neglecting to give from this passage that are worthy of our consideration, but think about what Jesus says there, that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth. He has power on earth. To forgive sins. He just said to this man, Thy sins be forgiven thee. We're here today. We're on earth today. And Christ proves through his miracle that he has the power to forgive sins. And the passage says that he has that power on earth. It's the first thought. Second thought is that because he has the power on earth, he will not be forgiving sins in eternity. If we're here today, they're the most important truth in conclusion. As I said, we will drive towards the most important truth in our conclusion. 
The most important truth is that there's a reality that Christ is presenting in his statement here. A reality of two eternities. There is, and there are, men who will have their sins forgiven on earth. And when those men die, they are said to go forever to be with the Lord, to be immediately in his presence. That is one beautiful and bright eternity. And it comes because Jesus has the power to forgive sins on earth. We're here, we're on earth right now. And the, the scripture says, behold, now is the day. Now is the right season. Now is the time. Well, we are here and alive that we can have our sins forgiven. By coming to Christ and asking for him to heal us from our diseases. There's another group, sadly, that at the time of Jesus' preaching represented the majority. Probably north of 50%, if not 90%, as I said earlier. Most of them were there for their intellects to be tickled or to check off that they had heard Jesus that day or some other reason to argue with him, maybe. Their sins were not forgiven. And who knows if the Lord met with them at a different time? We can't know. But if, if you're here and you're hearing Christ's words spoken every week, you come to this house and maybe you tune in online and you hear Christ preached. Christ, the only way, the truth, the life, the one way to be forgiven of your sins. And that is the most needful truth. You can hear the word week after week after week and you can miss the most important truth. Or you can hear it. And you can come to Christ and ask him for the forgiveness of your sins and to heal all of your diseases, the spiritual disease of your sin. And he is faithful to do just that. That is his promise in his word. And as I come to this passage, that is the most important truth that I can leave with you this morning and that I can even take to myself. You might be here. This, this truth does not just apply to unsaved men. It's true. If you have not taken Christ as your own, do that today. You should do that today. But it's also true for Christians. So easy we, we find it to, as soon as we start talking about the need for salvation in an unbeliever, to forget that each and every one of us needs the forgiveness of sins every single day. And we have it. And we can rejoice in that truth that Christ is available for us. Amen. Let us pray and ask that the blessing of the Lord would be on our preaching and the hearing of the word today. Dear Lord, we thank you that we have been able once again to come to this house None of us was brought this morning on a stretcher on a bed. 
We are all able-bodied, maybe have different physical ailments. Lord, we ask that you would be with those infirmities, whatever they are. But Lord, most importantly, we ask that those infirmities and this, this life that we now live here on earth would point us to you and that we would most importantly understand this truth of the forgiveness of sins, that we can come to you first before we've ever had a relationship with you and our sins can be forgiven. Lord, we can come to you every single day We can confess our faults, even as saved individuals, people that are your people, your sheep. We can confess our sins and receive a a fresh cleansing from you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to rejoice in that truth today. It is the most important truth that we can ever understand and grasp mentally. We pray now that you would bless that truth to our hearts today. Lord, we ask that you would be with us each and every one as we go out from this place. Lord, be with us wherever our paths may go. We are going to interact with the world outside of these doors. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to endeavor to preach the word and bring those men that are lost and without you into the house. We pray now for our week. Each and every one of us is going to go into the work week um, after today. And we will once again be faced with the, the hardships of life. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us in each and every separate place that we go to. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. And once again, ask your blessing on us as we part ways. In Jesus' name, amen.